0: Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, along with co host Matt Feld. Today, we are going to take a deep dive on travel baseball. Our fall edition of New England Baseball Journal is off to the printer, in addition to being available as a digital edition on baseballjournal.com. If you haven't received your print edition in the mail, you should have it in your hands any day. Matt, you wrote a couple of the cover theme stories for the fall edition, one on the importance of academics and recruiting, the other on the average cost for travel baseball families. And I also think you're uniquely qualified to lead a discussion about travel ball because of your background. Before we get started, can you share with our audience your experience in travel baseball?
1: Yeah, I currently work as the coordinator of operations for nor'easters baseball based up out of Tewksbury, Massachusetts. We have three facilities, one in Tewksbury, one in Woburn, Mass., and then one in Nashua, New Hampshire. We currently have over 50 teams across those three facilities and, and approximately 600 players. So it's the largest program in New England. It's uh, it's certainly been growing over the 18 years since it was founded back in 2004, and and there's been a consistent growth since then. So I play a pretty crucial role for the organization. I work alongside and work for some great people. And so in certainly in the weeds and a Lot of respects when it comes to travel baseball,
0: yeah, and it's such a controversial subject right now. It seems like even after our edition came out, like you want, it doesn't bother me if people are reacting to it. That's what you want when you put out a magazine, but it was just very polarizing opinions. I felt like, and I think the first thing we need to do, and we talked about this like a week ago when we talked about having this podcast is defining travel baseball, because I think people maybe confuse or conflate travel ball with showcase events. And they're saying, you know, you hear a lot of, oh, you shouldn't have these nine-year-olds going down to Florida and Georgia. And I just don't even know if that's happening, at least in New England. How would you define travel baseball versus, you know, showcasing?
1: Yeah, I think when we talk about kind of the general consensus, Uh, or kind of terms that are thrown at travel baseball, I kind of equate travel baseball to the media in some respects, where people just either like think the media is dishonest or or they disagree with the media, and that's a very general term. Like, what do you mean when you say that? The media has got so many different facets, right? So many different intricacies, and I think travel baseball is pretty similar, right? People just label travel baseball with these terms, whether it's positive or negative, and not realize that every program's different, every tournament's different, every circumstance is based on the age you're playing at, what your goals are. And so, yeah, I I think, Dan, you hit the nail on the head. I think there's been this kind of lumped sort of understanding or all umbrella at the showcase circuit which is mostly for 15U plus kids particularly who are at the top of their game who are trying to get a college scholarship or a spot on a college team are the same sort of resources that a lot of tribal baseball programs, particularly in the Northeast, are devoting to 9 to 14-year-olds where a lot of the focus is on development and learning how to play competitive baseball so that when they get to the high school age, you know, they're prepared to play at a high level. I think my best way to, to kind of define travel baseball is that it's an alternative developmental tool that, that players can use to kind of enhance their overall baseball experience. I think especially on top of the high school season, which particularly in New England is restricted, Right. If you're lucky here, you get like a month of nice weather. And I feel like we're kind of in the middle of it in November, which doesn't help baseball. Right. But the high school baseball season only goes from the middle of March to the middle of June. And if you're not one of the last teams standing, your, team, your season's probably over around Memorial Day. So you're only playing baseball for two and a half months. And so I think in this part of the country, more importantly than any other part of the country, maybe because of the weather and the climate, uh, travel baseball fills a significant void where players can expand upon their ability to learn the game, play the game at a high level, earn opportunities potentially to play at the next level if they're shown to be good enough and proven to be good enough. Uh, and I just I think it fills an incredible large opening and gap that would otherwise be left there if it didn't exist.
0: It's interesting, you mentioned, you know, no program is the same, you know, no two programs are the same, I should say. And one of the things I wanted to do with this edition is kind of find an example of a kid who has reached the absolute peak, which we did with Alex Clemmy, and then kind of show the path that he traveled to get to where he is. And some of the feedback that I got was, so Alex Clemmy played for Northeast Baseball or NEB. And some of the feedback I got is NEB is not your typical model for a New England travel ball program because, in some cases, they recruit players from outside the region to play in these showcase events with them. Also, they have strength and conditioning in house. You know, they have their own weight room. They have John DeRuin, who, or at least they did have John DeRuin, who is a pitching coordinator and he had experience working with professional athletes. So it's, It's almost like it's the pinnacle of travel ball or not. I shouldn't say the pinnacle because they're, you know, they're good and bad and for different reasons. Do you think, does it, did it work with trying to show it through any lens? Do you think that worked?
1: I think Northeast baseball is a really good kind of overriding example or symbol for travel baseball. First of all, I think very highly of Northeast baseball in terms of the program that they run. I think very highly of the coaches that, that they have over there, the developmental methods and models they use. Their Their players go on to play at the next level. I think the track record there speaks for itself. I think that, you know, and again, I think Northeast baseball kind of encompasses every aspect of travel baseball, both positive and negatively, that you're going to get from people as they view it from the outside. As you mentioned, they've got strength and conditioning on site, on staff. They have polished and experienced and proven coaches um, on staff. Conversely, that they've also received criticism for, like you said, they go down to, to a tournament in Florida and they bring along a player for for a, for a week or two that's not from New England, that's not from the Northeast, so to speak, to help their team out. I think that's a, a an unfortunate aspect of travel Baseball, But not all programs do that, but certainly many others do across the country. My buddy runs a five-star academy program down in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and there's other competing programs down out of Fayetteville, Arkansas that get players from Missouri and Oklahoma and Texas neighboring states. It's much more common down there, I think, than it might be up here. And so I think it's easy because other programs up here might not do that necessarily. They might restrict themselves to a subset or a certain amount of towns or communities, but I think that's probably actually a more popular travel baseball method across the country otherwise than it is here so i actually thought northeast baseball was a was a good example and a good symbol of both the positive and negative sort of views that people have of travel baseball because they're kind of all over the place and they're certainly not necessarily you know uh, the the typical or atypical travel baseball type program that you'd see in other aspects up here
0: one of the stories that you wrote which was a an eye-opener for me is the costs associated with travel it's incredible it's insane. So you know, you say five thousand, six thousand a program for for it's basically a user fee for one one year to you know use all of their facilities and travel with the team. There's also additional costs, hotels, you know, equipment, all of those. You know, you're staying, you're traveling, taking flights, all that, all those different things that aren't included with your program fee. That was concerning in some ways because it feels like. Baseball is becoming a sport for the wealthy. If you want a path to D1 baseball, you have to play travel. And do you think it's closing some doors to some players?
1: Absolutely. This is a huge concern of mine, in my opinion, when it comes to club baseball is just the cost that's now become associated with it and I think it helps precipitate and kind of gives more ammunition to the bad reputation that comes with travel but it's just the cost <laughs> that comes with it I mean when you add it all up you know I think I, I said the total estimated expenses for a family might be eleven, twelve thousand dollars 12000 and that might even be on the low end if you're playing on a, on a high level you know team that you're, and where you're hoping to turn an opportunity at the next level I think we have to find a way I think the entire travel ball community specifically in New England has to find a way to decrease costs where they can to make it more affordable for people to play. We should be trying to win opportunities for kids. We should be trying to enhance their desire to play baseball. We want to be able to make it a more attractive sport. We want to be able to make it where more kids want to play consistently. They want to play and they want to train year-round. I think one of the advantages that other sports that, say, basketball have, right, is that for basketball, you have shorts, a shirt, and a ball, and you're ready to go. You're ready to go play pickup basketball. I think it's a huge advantage. I think AAU basketball prices are typically much lower than they are in the AAU baseball side of things. And I just think as a community, as a travel baseball, you know, World, so to speak, we have to come together and find a way to decrease the cost on families to make it easier for them. Because I have a really hard time justifying people spending eleven, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars a year. We're talking about a quarter of a tuition potentially go to college in state if you're looking to get a bachelor's or a or a associate's degree. It's really, really hard to justify. Um, every single year, when you're trying to get your kids involved, putting down a check for twelve or thirteen thousand dollars, we just have to find a way across the board. And I think everyone can help. I think towns can help. I think um, local baseball communities can help. Uh, little leagues can help. Um, you know, everyone's got to come together and try to find a way uh, to make it so people have easier access and fewer barriers to entry to play in the game. Because I agree with you, Dan. When you look at it, it's like. You know, people just look at the sticker price, four or five thousand dollars. But then, well, they've got to eat when they're in Georgia and Philadelphia and New Jersey or whatever. They got to pay for hotels, we're not sleeping on the side of the road, right? So all of a sudden, it adds up, and you're talking about you know five you know five figure amounts that you're paying. And what if you have two or three kids? Now we're paying thirty grand or twenty five grand. It's 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 a lot to stomach, and I think it's I think it's hard to handle.
0: Yeah, it is. I, and it just makes me wonder, like, why Why is it so expensive? Because, I mean, you're taking an outdoor sport and you're trying to move it indoors probably six, seven, eight months a year. So obviously, you know, facilities, you got to pay facility fees for wherever you're operating out of. Some of these, you know, if you're going to play most of your games, let's say at the New England baseball complex, you have to pay for your field time there. But wh- why is it you know, five, $6,000 a year, do you think if some of these programs have, you know, like yours has 600 people, shouldn't that, you know, shouldn't you be able to cover the fees with less?
1: Yeah. One thing I want to make sure I make clear, right. And I think this is a false notion that's out there. It's just false. If anyone wants my pay stubs, they're more than welcome to access them or my coworkers or my boss. No one is making any more money. I'm sorry. Like it's just not, it's just at least when I say nobody, nobody in the travel baseball world, in terms of the club owners, the club program directors, we're not making any more money than we did a year or two ago. Go from a salary standpoint. If I was, I wouldn't be wearing sweats and a, and a sweatshirt on, on the podcast. I, yeah. I probably would have found some nicer attire to wear today. The problem is, is that you know people like Perfect Game and PBR that are now charging ex- exorbitant t- tournament fees. Field costs are as expensive as they ever have been before. Travel is incredibly expensive. And so what's happening is, is that the clubs are having to then push off that cost just like any other business does on the consumer, just like the, the the store that purchases milk and then has to raise their price because they had to buy it at a higher fee than they used to. I think it's really, really, that's the root of the financial problem is just the auxiliary fees have gotten so enormous that, that clubs have no choice at this point but to raise their tuition. And that's what I mean. When I talk about the entire baseball world working together, I'm talking about People that rent out fields. I'm talking about people that oversee tournaments. I'm talking about people that all oversee apparel. Um, they all have to find a way to come together mutually and help lower the cost and alleviate the burden on families. Because I promise you, the people that are working in the clubs that are working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, giving up time away from their young kids to coach those coach you know kids in their program, they're not making any more money. It's just it's just not happening. It doesn't exist. The problem is is the facilitators, the people that we're kind of all beholden to, for lack of a better term that are raising their costs. And as a result, the cost has to go back on the con- consumer. I would say the average tournament right now, and I could find this out pretty easily, I could you know, do tournament costs, but we're talking about $1,800, $1,900 for a single tournament, right? If you've got 50 teams, just multiply. You can do the math yourself, right? We're talking about huge costs for organizations that are trying to provide the best product possible.
0: One of the quotes that kind of jumped out to me, Scott Patterson, he runs NEB. He said that it's difficult for high school coaches now because they don't have the resources that travel programs have. You know, you're not going to see Rap Soto, you know, at a right. high school practice. You're not going to see indoor facilities that other than, you know, going to the high school gym and throw the ball around for a little while. It got it rained today, so we can't play outside. <laughs> But do you think that travel ball is minimizing the importance of the high school season? And is that necessarily even a bad thing?
1: I think this is where I get to provide a bit of a unique perspective because I've covered high school sports longer than I've worked in travel baseball. I've covered high school sports now for eight years for the Boston Herald. And and now, of course, now helping alongside a New England baseball journal, worked for ESPN Boston. I love high school baseball. I mean, it's 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 to me it's special. It's authentic. It's awesome to see. Joe, we had Joe Breen in here earlier, and and he was talking about how you know the rivalries that exist at the high school level that you don't see on the travel baseball circuit. I think travel baseball is a little more individualized. You know, some programs are great at develop, develop, developing team concepts and team fundamentals, right? But at the end of the day, if you're playing on a premier team, you personally are going out there to try to earn yourself a scholarship or earn yourself a college opportunity and that's when you're gonna do it. I think everyone feels in the high school season they're doing it there for their school or their community, their town, whatever it might be. And I think it's still special. I, I don't I have not yet seen the kind of overlap where travel baseball has taken people away from high school baseball and i guess because i think so many families pour a lot into being able to to have their sons or daughters compete you know with their teammates with their classmates i think the big the big infusion has been travel baseball overtaking legion baseball i think that's where you've probably seen it the most but i still think people think high school baseball is just important as it was 15 20 25 years ago if there's any less talent on the high school baseball world I think it's probably more because of the the emergence of lacrosse more than it is maybe of high school baseball or travel baseball excuse me
0: one of the things i wanted to ask and you would know this better than me um in terms of so i think it's great that if a guy you know isn't playing a a winter sport let's say he can get ready for the baseball season by having access to a travel program and there are plenty of other sports offer that, you know, where if you were, say you were a swimmer, you could find a program that did it in the summer, not just during the swim season or any other sport like that. Um, so I think it's good that you now have the option, but are these annual costs that, you know, it's five or $6,000 for an annual fee. Is there any way to do it seasonally? Like, hey, I play soccer in the fall, but I want to play baseball in the winter and spring. Is there any way to do it that way?
1: Unfortunately, I really don't think so you know maybe down the road right i think we're probably going to get to a certain organization that oversees a ton, of, a ton of club sports so maybe at some point right if you if you play for this club team and this club team and maybe we can find a way and maybe there will be a way one day to bring down your overall cost because you're you're playing for two clubs that are owned by the same overall company i don't know if that's in the future it would certainly be interesting to see if that's that comes at some point down the line I think it's just hard because a lot of these programs now, knowing that their costs are so high, programs are not oblivious to the fact that the costs are high. They don't think it's cheap to play for them. They know how expensive it is. And if you talk to Scott Patterson or Tim Dano at Nor'easters, or you know Chris Wells and G- uh, Joe Burina at gbg they know how pr- expensive it is. They're trying to afford and provide as many different programming opportunities that they can. You know, NEB's got strength and conditioning in their facility. Nor'easters runs college showcase nights through the fall, and you know, you know, I know gbg has got a new pitching facility. They're trying to enhance the opportunities that they can provide for their players and their families because they know costs are so high. And so I think that's how they're trying to alleviate a lot of the pressure. Yeah, okay, you're playing soccer in the fall, but hey, your practice ends at five. If you want to come to our college showcase night, that's seven to nine in front of six, seven, division two, division one schools, that opportunity is there for you. So I think they're trying to offset it by providing more off-season opportunities. Yeah,
0: you alluded to a three-step which has had a huge impact on travel ball, baseball in general in New England over the last few years they bought up uh, some of the travel programs they own the do they own NBC the the new england baseball complex or yeah the... it's
1: it's kind of hard the it's it's they've pretty much as far as i know pretty much hired somebody or hired an, a company to oversee their rental of the facility but more or less yes they're kind of responsible for the the activities that go inside and out of there for lack of a better term
0: okay yeah and i heard some of the people who are critical of travel ball will say you know be careful you, you know you have to know who owns Owns Each club, you have to know who owns the complexes because the people who own those complexes are getting rich off these kids, you sure. know, and these investments. Yeah. I've actually spoken with a travel ball director who has said three step has made it more affordable because they are providing opportunities and sites for all these teams to get together. They do the scheduling. You're not spending as much time on logistics and administrative stuff. What is your experience with 3-Step?
1: Yeah, I would 100% say that they've made it easily, easier and more accessible to enter into tournaments and provide opportunities for kids in that respect. You know what tournaments they offer. You know what competition you're going to get at their tournaments. More often than not, it's very good competition, like the New Balance Best of the Best that takes place primarily at, at NEBC. You know you know that you're going to have people there that have experience working in amateur and youth sports, and which I think, above all else, is a huge plus. Because nowadays you know when we're kind of entering this ver- this world of unknown when it comes to to amateur sports having people there that have run their own clubs or for run their own programs, coach at the high school and college level, have been youth coaches, you know, for many years. It's important that they're there because they understand the same thing that these club directors are going through now. It doesn't mean everything's perfect. Everything is not perfect. There's a bunch of changes and ups and downs and ebbs and flows that that every company and every organization has to go through. And I'm not going to sit here and run, you know, with a parade going down the street that everything is awesome with like the Legoland movie song. (laughs) (laughs) But... But I think by and large, when you look at it, it's made it much more easier for teams throughout New England to schedule, to organize, to understand the tournaments that, that they should be playing in. And they provide more opportunities to, to, to programs to make sure their players get exposure. And so I think by and large, when you look at it across the board, it's made it better than otherwise. Again, just from a, from a pure organization and operational standpoint.
0: Why don't we take a break here? We'll talk more about travel ball after these
2: words. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school division one two II, and three colleges showcases rankings and much more get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to baseballjournal.com just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today New England baseball journal is a Siemens media publication Siemens media inspiring informative insightful
0: I know we've talked about this before, the rise of, you know, more chirping from the dugouts and oh, between teams and players, parents. We know that there's a shortage on officials all across athletics, all different sports, but we know umpires, you know, are not interested in sitting, sitting there and getting argued with for the entire game by, you know, parents now with parents paying, you know, five, $6,000 for the, or, you know, as you said, maybe $11,000 a year yeah. total. Are they becoming more emboldened to be obnoxious during these sporting events and argue with
1: umpires? It's a huge concern and it's a huge problem. Right. I'm paying, like you said, ten, eleven thousand, twelve thousand dollars and you add up all the expenses for my kid to play. I can I should be able to say whatever I want, act however I want, I should be able to call the coach at one in the morning, I should be able to email the program director at ten o'clock. That's a big problem. And and I don't know what the answer is to be honest with you, Dan, because let's be honest, right? When if you go to the Apple store and purchase a computer for $1, $1,000, 1200 bucks, and it stops working, and it's 11 o'clock at night. Well, you want to get on the phone with Apple support at 11 o'clock at night, right? I mean, you, you've just purchased a product. You're expecting it to work, and you're expecting it to work to the best of its ability. I think that's a huge concern and a huge issue, and I, I, I don't think there's a clear-cut answer, right? If you're, I think it's a lot on the programs to set expectations. I think GBG does a great job at this. I think we do a good job. I think I think programs have to set expectations early on and what type of people they're looking for, what type of families they're looking for to become part of their program. I think too many programs have kind of gotten astray over the last couple of years, and I think that's led to more volatile behavior. You've seen a decrease in umpires, you've seen a decrease in coaches that are willing to sacrifice their time because they have to take you know so many phone calls and so many emails from so many people at kind of ridiculous hours of the day. And I think that's where the program directors in particular have to step in and say, this is how we run our program, these are the values that we you know, kind of aspire to and abide by. And if you can't follow them, regardless of how much money you're willing to spend, you know, we don't have a home for you here. I think more programs have to step up and start doing that because otherwise we're going to be at a really bad point in about a year or two or so, in my opinion, where we're going to have really really few umpires and really few, you know, good coaches. And that's where the business is going to ultimately, um, you know, going to need, you know, to be successful is with good coaches that parents can rely on that are going to develop their kids as people and as players. And if we don't have that, then the business is in serious trouble.
0: Yeah, it's funny. You made me think of just with the way the interactions have gotten so crazy with parents and umpires. I heard, uh, somebody I know works in customer service, and they thought it was like a result of the pandemic. Everybody forgot how to interact with each other because they're just interact interacting through screens no and comment boards, and now they're like hey, I didn't get what I wanted. I'm going to be as obnoxious as possible about this because they, there was no fear that they were going to see the person face to face. But yeah, you know, either way, it's a trend that we, we probably want to wipe out of the travel ball or baseball in general.
1: Yeah. And just to go back really quick, you know, we talk about kind of this all being under one umbrella, right, with three-step sports. And all I can always think of and kind of the example I make to, is like, and I used the the example of Apple with your Mac when you need support, you know, moments ago. But I don't see people screaming and yelling and trying to boycott Apple even though they've taken a a total hold or monopoly on kind of the news and the product world, right? If you want a laptop, if you want your phone, if you want a phone case, if you want headphones... You want a charger well you're all going to the you're going to the same store for everything and people don't seem to be screaming about it instead of having to go to five different stores you can go to one place and purchase all of your products right it's more organized it's neatly maintained and yeah there are issues sometimes the laptop breaks sometimes the retina display goes awry and you have to pay four hundred dollars for a new one right but i i kind of acquitted to the same thing with with three-step and kind of this sort of overall umbrella that everything's now underneath you don't have to go to five different places to find a tournament find a field find opponents you can go to one place, and yeah, there are going to be issues sometimes, and yeah, the costs might be up or the costs you know, might be down in some areas and up in others, but I think it's way easier now. I think one of the tough things is that we recognize that as part of the clubs. The families don't recognize that because they're just getting the product, right? They're getting the product through the club, so they're kind of secondhand. They're not directly going to the overall organization, and I think that's where it gets it gets tough and gets misconstrued sometimes, and I think that's the biggest difficulty in going forward is there has to be better, clear explanations as to why this is better, why it's easier. And again, even though they're drop it's like going to the Apple store where all your products now are in, are in one place. You've got the same place to turn to.
0: Yeah, there were... Uh it's interesting. I held out on Apple for a long time, and, and then I couldn't even text message people who didn't have, yeah. you know, who had Apple. So I was like, fine, I'll, I guess I'll do it. Wanted to ask you about the trend. So earlier commitments, you know, guys are making earlier commitments. You see, uh, yesterday I did a commitments list for BaseballJournal.com. There's a lot of 25s, 26s that are making early commitments. And I don't know, I, I would assume you could probably attribute that to guys playing travel ball and, you know, hitting their their climax or their peak at the high school level at a little earlier age guys are throwing 90 now and they're in eighth grade ninth grade and then as a result you know and it could also be because of the ncaa transfer portal and there's more movement at the college level you're seeing a lot of guys decommit and it works both ways coaches also are pulling offers on kids is that do you attribute that to travel ball and is there any way to kind of stem that trend
1: first of all i think it stinks (laughs) overall i think it's I think the recruiting environment out there, and so many people that we've talked to have talked about this, but I just think it's ugly. Like I just think it's nasty right now. I think it's bitter. Maybe not as much up here as it is in other parts, right? If you're down south in Tennessee and Arkansas, you know that's certainly a much more high, you know volatile environment when the donors and the boosters start getting involved. But still, it's it's tough right now. You know if 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 you're not a if you're not either a premier kid or like you said a 26 or a 25 or even a 27. It's really hard to to get seen right now. I think travel baseball, I don't think there's been any negative impact that travel baseball has had on that per se, uh, other than the fact that you have, of course, you know, perfect game and PBR that are putting out rankings of 13s and 12s and 14-year-olds, which, I'll be perfectly honest, is just not for me. Like, I just, I'm sorry. Like, if you haven't even taken geometry yet, I don't care what your fastball is. I don't care what your perfect game ranking is. I think colleges are in a tough position because, you know, if you're in a conference and your rival is offered a freshman then you feel like you have to offer a freshman and now you think you got to offer the 8th grader before you were. So now it just kind of creates that chain effect and that ripple effect. I'm hoping the NCAA takes measures and takes steps to kind of you know, quell the battle over kids and, and, you know, end the battle over, over kids. I've never understood it from a college coach's standpoint, you know, putting your life or your, really what it is, is your life, right? I mean, that's how you feed your family on the line of a 14 or 15 year old that never has played high school varsity baseball. I, I just, I don't understand that. I, I don't quite get that. I get you're trying to battle for talent, but the kids haven't even proven themselves yet. So yeah, I don't think travel baseball necessarily positively or negatively kind of done anything on that sort of aspect of the recruiting timeline. I just think the, the rankings and the, and the publicity of kids that like I said have not even you know don't even know what you know the potassium is in chemistry like I I just think that's where I think that's probably where where we've lost our way a little bit
0: yeah I wonder if you know players could take that power back a little bit by saying like yeah sure I'll recruit to you but I'm gonna keep my search open and then coaches are like you know what like we're we're locking these kids in too early this commitment doesn't mean anything you know let's at least wait till they're sophomores or something until we commit or maybe the NCAA could come up with a rule but that's probably not for us to decide here today (laughs) on the podcast wanted to ask about John DeRuin leaving NEB he was a he was in our stories on NEB he was a kind of a big part of Scott's approach to getting you know all all under one roof you know he's got his pitching coordinator he's got his strength coach that he got from Cressy he's trying to get the the experts from around the industry into his program on the travel ball scene and offer these services that obviously you're not going to have at a high school program, but even at a college program, you might not have, you know, a pitching coordinator who's as accomplished as John DeRuin. I wanted to ask about him leaving NEB because I think that's going to be difficult for travel ball directors and, you know, the people who run these programs to keep people like that in those positions because they're... They're competing against college jobs. They're competing. John DeRuin, I should say got hired by the Detroit Tigers. That's like a a dream job, I would think, whereas, you know, in the travel ball industry, you're going to have to pay a lot of money to keep these guys. Is that realistic or how do you think these programs will have stability when they're turning over coaches like that?
1: This goes back to my earlier point where. You know, fees are going up for families, but the salaries for the people that actually work for these clubs is not going up, right? And so now that you've got these club program directors and these club coaches that are working with more kids, working with more fa- families, working more hours, but they're not making any more money. And so that to me is 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 part of the kind of, to, to answer your question fully, is I think it's going to be really hard for club programs to keep good staff long term because the best staffers are going to have opportunities elsewhere and they're going to think that their their work their work life balance is going to be better elsewhere, right? If you're a, if you're a full time worker at a club organization, you're probably getting to your facility from at around 11 or or noon, you're probably working on administrative matters, such as booking tournaments or handling people's invoices or getting people their blast motions, you know, all those sort of administrative tools. And then around 430, you know, after school's over and the facility starts to to fill up, you're overseeing the facility from 430 to nine or 930 when practices and camps and clinics end. So you're talking about a 10 hour day, you probably didn't pick your kids up from school, you probably didn't get dinner with them. You probably didn't put them to bed. So you're not spending any real you know, significant time with your family. I think it's really going to be hard for program directors to consistently keep good full-time employees. And that's a concern that I have of travel baseball. I think people take for granted right now when they go on Twitter and rip travel baseball and these people that are killing the industry – they don't appreciate how many good people there are out there. Not everyone's great. There are plenty of people with bad intentions, and there's no question about it. And those stories you hear of p- kids being overused—those, those are real stories. Those are not just fables. I mean, we're talking about big-time writers that have documented this and written great books on it. Jeff Passan wrote the Arm a couple of years ago, where there are some vignettes in there about younger kids being like those are. Those are real stories, but. There are a lot of really, really good people out there that are working in this industry for the right reasons because they like coaching kids and they like helping improve and develop the game. And I just think it's going to get harder and harder as more kids play travel baseball and there are more teams and there's more emphasis from parents that they want this, this, and this for their kid. I think you're going to have a hard time maintaining and keeping those good full-time instructors and coaches Because it just becomes a very demanding job at a time where everyone thinks they're making more money because their costs are going up.
0: I want to run a few different criticisms by you of travel baseball, and you can tell me if it's fair or... Unfair. Unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's those are the two words I'm looking for. All right. Number 1, travel ball has resulted in more injuries for pitchers and players in general.
1: I think that's fair. And I I think it's kind of a mathematics equation, right? The more kids that are playing travel baseball, the more kids that are going to get hurt. I've seen plenty of Legion coaches that have also run their kids into the ground pre-pitch count. Now we've got the pitch count rules. Right? But I've seen kids throw 167 pitches in a Legion game. Not, I've, I remember watching that with my own two eyes. Right, so, but I definitely think it's fair. I think I think some of it's on the on the families, and they need better guidance from their program, you know, coaches that you don't have to go to this showcase or that showcase, right? Just because you know, just because you don't go to this camp doesn't mean your college baseball career is never going to happen. So I think some of that onus right there is definitely on the travel baseball programs. But I definitely think it's fair to say that you know more kids playing travel baseball is certainly just mathematically and and by the fact that kids are trying to showcase themselves sometimes to too much of a degree that there's going to be a higher rate of arm injuries.
0: I've actually seen that at the high school level. I was covering a game a few years ago. These two coaches hated each other. They (laughs) had their aces on the mound, and the game went to like nine or ten innings, and neither one of them took out their starting pitcher. There were like 150, 160 pitches, and I was like, God, these coaches, save them from their egos here. Otherwise, they're going to blow up. All right, how about this? Is this fair or unfair criticism? Travel baseball has taken the fun out of baseball by making it all all all-star teams rather than friends playing together.
1: I think that's totally, you know, I think when you see it, uh, uh, the teams that I see, our own teams and the teams that we play against, the kids seem to really enjoy playing with each other. They get to meet new teammates. They get to meet, you know, the families get to meet new families. They get to experience different parts of the country. The other eyes wouldn't. In some cases, they have two or three friends on the team that they already knew that have come over with them that helped make them more comfortable. So I don't see that at all. I I don't see a lot of programs, at least in the Northeast, where you show up there, and the players are miserable, they don't want to be there. You know, If you're still playing travel baseball at 15, 16, 17 years old, you probably like playing travel baseball, right? And if you don't, you're playing Legion ball with your buddies. So I disagree with that sentiment across the board. I think, by and large, the programs that I see enjoy you know, playing for those, the kids enjoy playing for those programs, and they enjoy playing for those coaches
0: and I mean you're going to make new friends with guys outside of your neighborhood because Absolutely. you're traveling with them and everything like that. How about this criticism because of travel ball players are no longer focusing on development and they're just it's the ratio is too skewed towards competition.
1: Yeah, I think it's a nuanced question. Overall, I'd say for the programs that I know and that I've seen and I've worked with up here, it's totally unfair. I think there are programs out there though that certainly, you know, don't spend or don't invest in the developmental side of the game. Where, and that's, to me, where the value in travel baseball is, right? And I think the programs around here, Nor'easters, GBG, Northeast Baseball, Nakona, Matt Duffy and I, they invest in off-season training. And I would actually spend, that. that's a large share where 90% of instructors are actually doing a lot of their work, is developing off-season plans, developing program plans, developing throwing plans, pitching programs, off-season attack for, for hitters. I think that's where the benefit in travel baseball is and that's where the benefit is in learning from new coaches outside of your school environments, get in a different environment, learn how to be comfortable in new environments. And to me, that's where you be, that's where you see the success that happens in the spring and summer, right? It's all that work tune, that 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 players are now in. And I actually think now it's harder for players at the high school level to play at a high level if they aren't in some sort of travel program. Because the odds are their opponents and their teammates that are are probably receiving and undergoing far more instruction than them. And again this goes back to the inequalities right if you can't afford travel baseball you know you might be in some big trouble and that's where the industry as a whole has to take more aggressive action to making it more accessible for more families. But I think that's where the biggest discrepancies are now going to lie for the next three to five years is you're going to see the players that play travel ball and get that offseason instruction as opposed to the ones that don't I think that's where you're going to see you know huge you know uh, you know X's and O's and discrepancies in terms of players that perform during the high school? This next
0: one I think is more of a social media issue than a travel ball issue, but you know, now you see the perfect game PBR, you know, that there's constantly tweeting out, you know, hey, this guy was sitting 93 this morning, topped out at 95. And it's become less about, you know, trying to win games or, you know, competing and strategizing through through a game as much as let's hit the high mark for exit velocity and, you know, a fastball velocity on the mound. Do you see that as a, a travel ball issue or is it just more everybody wants to show what they're doing on so- social media?
1: It's both. I think it's a fair criticism. You know, I, the the story I wrote about, you know, the cost of travel baseball and Evan Blanco had a quote where at the time he didn't feel pressure playing baseball, but now he knows, you know, some of his younger high school teammates, they got pressured or maybe not pressure is the wrong word, influenced into playing travel ball because they see all their friends on social media. They get to retweet their PBR most view page or their perfect game most velocity page. I think we have to do a better job as an industry of kind of eliminating the 10 or 15-second video that gets the 10 or 15, 20 retweets the kid's looking for. Because I think that's where the injuries end up happening. You're trying to set a perfect, you know, a, a, perfect, a personal record in a facility in December. Who cares? Who cares? That's just about social media notoriety and showing that your kid's, you know, through a fastball, fa- you know, more than, you know, at a higher velocity than he ever has at a meaningless time of the year retrospectively overall. Right, focus on the development of your kid. Don't focus on the social media publication of that kid because, to me, that's where the kids are going to run into trouble because now they're trying to get the most viewed pages, most viewed profile on PBR and Perfect Game, and they're trying to showcase that they've developed faster than anyone else, and that's how kids get injured because now they're rushing to get to a benchmark that their body is not prepared for them to get to. And so I think that's a fair criticism. I think it's a bad aspect of travel baseball, and I think that needs some serious, you know, Self evaluation done by a lot of organizations to say it's okay if we don't post this kid on social media today, even though he got a personal record. Because then the next time he's going to try and get another personal record, and now he's going to suscept himself to injury.
0: And then the strength and conditioning piece we did a story on NEB having Greg Robin, who was from CS or Cressy Sports Performance. And it seems like more travel programs are trying to take ownership of the strength and conditioning program and have that happen on their own facilities. I don't know if I overstated that and NEB is kind of a unicorn in that regard. How do you feel about program travel programs taking on the strength and conditioning piece?
1: I think they need to make it a bigger emphasis. I think more travel programs need to partner with organizations like Cressy or Evo or other institutions or do it themselves that have strength and conditioning. I think that's a huge gap between the players, again, that perform at the high school level and the ones that don't, the ones that put on 20, 30 pounds in the offseason. I think travel programs have to become a more one-stop shop for organizations, again, whether they partner with the organization or not. You're always going to have people that speak negative of, of strength and conditioning facilities, whether it's Driveline or Cress Cressy, you know, um, you know, I know someone that went to Cressy and they, you know, threw their arm out. Uh, okay, well, planes are the safest way to travel just because one crashed five years ago and, you know, in grass in Colorado doesn't mean they're not the safest things to fly, right? I mean, there's, there's always exceptions to everything. Right. But I think strand and conditioning outlets are the separator. If you're going to put in... 15, 20 25 pounds and you know you know clean up your nutrition and get on a better regimen and teach yourself you know time management and organization and discipline I think that's what gets players to the next level get more flexible get more mobile I'm happy to see more organizations up here have kind of stepped into those waters and and enhance the the resources they offer in that respect because that to me is where travel programs really need to take the the next step you can't be throwing a baseball 12 months out of the year you can't always have a baseball bat in your hand you know Central Florida assistant coach Ted Tom said I don't make better swingers to make better movers, right? They're trying to get kids more athletic and and more flexible. And I think that's where travel programs have to, to, to have to take the next step in order to make their product viable and, and reasonable for, for for customers.
0: Nice. Well, we're running out of time, but I feel like you could talk about this forever yeah. and maybe we'll do another one, I mean, during the off-season here to talk more about it. Is there anything I, I missed or, or should we just plan to do another later this off-season?
1: I would say that the one big thing now that I think a lot of programs... Are struggling to do that. I think all programs could do better at is finding a way to set reasonable expectations for kids. I think it's important that you know when you go to a program, you have an underlying idea of what your kids' end goal can and, and will be, right? And I'm not talking about oh, look at all these kids that have committed to college from our program. Look at this picture. Look at the social. I'm talking about developing that relationship between the people that work full time in the building and the families themselves. I think right now families think that travel baseball programs are just social media outlets that retweet this and retweet this and make a phone call and now your kid's committed. I think the real value in travel baseball is that you get to meet good people who are in it for the right reasons and care about amateur baseball. And I think... One avenue that all clubs and all programs and all companies that oversee club sports can do a better job of is underscoring the reason that they're in this business. Because I think, as you pointed out when we started this, it's a lot of people think it's just because of the money and they think they're going to make six or seven figures and I wish and all that stuff. I think these organizations have to do a much better job of communicating what their mission is, what their purpose is. Because if they don't, then I think travel sports could actually end up being in in trouble in two or three or four years and receive much more negative criticism from the public and from the media. I think it's on them to get ahead of the game, to be on the front lines, you know, from a communication standpoint and be clear about, you know, what it is they're all about so that people have a better understanding of of what they're in the game for.
0: Yeah, I thought Alex Clemmie kind of echoed that point in the story. He said... You know, sometimes the experience of playing travel ball is developing, you know, your hard work, your work ethic and, you know, learning to put everything into something and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. It's no guarantee you're going to play D1, no guarantee you're going to go to Vanderbilt or get drafted. But... um Not everything that you do growing up gets a return on an investment in that way. You know, sometimes you're building skills. Well, thank you, Matt. Thanks to co-host Matt Feld for offering insight on Travel Ball for the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.